Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms, including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Oh, Jack. Jack O'Hara. Boy, you asked me some interesting questions, my man. It's a great question, Jack. Jack, hey, it's Josh Ryder. Hey there, Jack O'Hara. It's Johnny Damon. Jack, you had questions for me. Jack O'Hara? Absolutely. This message is for Jack O'Hara. Jack, how are you? Hey, Jack. Jack, hey, what's going on, man? How you doing? What's going on, Jack? Uh, listen, man, you know, you, you, you asked me a couple questions. Broadcasting around the world. You're listening to the O Show. In the show and uh, doing your thing. I mean, you've got some pretty big name guests. I've seen your, your stuff. So congratulations on your success. Jack O'Hara. Much nicer guy than Conan O'Brien. With much better interviewing skills. Don't forget to share this episode on your social media. Now, let's get to it. I am so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow. And now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's definitely going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. So there's that. What? I love it. I love it. Wow, it's 95 here. Where, where are you? Are you in uh, L.A.? Yeah, in L.A., in Pasadena. Shit, that's perfect. I go to school in Phoenix, so like I kind of wish okay. I was there because the numbers are really low there, and like here they're yeah. not so good. So. Right. I, I right. Are you uh, everybody you know? Are your family staying healthy so far? So far, so good. How about you? Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Saw that uh, you guys were uh, going ahead, or at least the Dodgers were going ahead with your uh, new cooking show there for Cooking yeah. with Joe. You liking yeah, that? They've done some really. They've done some really cool uh, stuff with that. I mean, I was posting all kinds of it. Uh, my own social media and then they were looking just for more stuff for you know more content for their own channels with uh no baseball to put out yeah. there. so they had me send them the videos and they've been putting them together they're doing a great job with them i, I was eating a longhorn uh from longhorn steakhouse a ribeye about a couple hours ago and i was looking through my feed on youtube and i came across your tomahawk ribeye episode and i was kind of like that looks a lot better than the ribeye i'm eating right now kind of kind of yeah i <laughs> before you ordered the rib, I would have totally ruined it for you. No, honestly, before you even put it on the grill, it, it looked amazing. Oh, well, thank you. 
<laughs> so when you guys are on the road, like, what's probably the best place to find uh, smoked meat since you seem to be, like, a big foodie? Like, when you guys are traveling around the country, what's the best place that's recommended to go get go get some grub? Um, when I'm going out to eat, I'm not usually going out to get barbecue. Right. Uh, Frank, Franklin Barbecue in Austin is great when it comes to that. I've uh, been there for college football a few times. That's yeah. my favorite barbecue spot. Interesting. Uh, obviously, talking to uh, being a young aspiring broadcaster like myself, I'm always interested to hear uh, big league broadcasters' takes on this. Like, what was, what was like the biggest itch for you to want to become a sports broadcaster? And like, was it a young age? Was it a little bit older? Like, when did you get that itch and said, "Hey, you know what? This is what I want to do with my life." Uh, as soon as I knew that there was a life to think about, a professional life to think about, yeah. you know, as soon as, as early of an age as kids start thinking, "This is what I want to be when I grow up." That's pretty much when I started saying that this is what I wanted to be when I grew up. You know, I grew up in a sports family. My dad was a coach, and there was always a game on. So you know, just uh, just by being around it, I guess it kind of led me in that direction. And for whatever reason, I, I just paid close attention to the guys that were calling the game. And yeah. probably from fourth, fifth, sixth grade on, really began paying close attention. Did you have any, like, a spot or, like, any uh, favorite broadcaster growing up? Like, one guy you're like, this is, like, this is cool. This is what I want to do with my life. Like, any certain broadcasters you had in mind growing up that you were like, this yeah, is... The first voice that I listened to, was like, that guy sounds awesome, and tried to copy him was Gary Thorne on NHL on ESPN. Yeah. Uh, early in mid-90s and then Joe Buck was the guy that was calling all the biggest games while I was growing up and still is really and I, I think that uh, I've probably taken more from him stylistically and um, and applied to myself than anybody I just don't think there's anybody as good as he is at captioning and capturing a moment yeah and, and when you were younger trying to break into the business like obviously now i'm in that in those shoes right now dming you on instagram and emailing you trying to set up an interview did you reach out to anybody firsthand and were there any mentors to you growing up as you were breaking into the business yeah so many i've been so lucky that there have been you know I, anytime i do this you wind up leaving somebody out but uh, len casper I grew up a big Cubs fan, yeah. and so Lynn Casper and Pat Hughes were guys that I listened to all the time, Chip Carey before Len, and all those guys have become personal friends and mentors to me. Corey Provis, who was the number two to Pat Hughes and has gone on to Milwaukee and then Minnesota, he's another one who I got to know very quickly in my career, Brian Anderson in Milwaukee, um, Mike Tirico. Joe Buck have both become mentors and uh, gosh it's just one of the great things about the industry is how how nice everybody is and how it seems like because you know I I know those guys were helped at some point in their career uh, they seem to want to pass it along you know even though I didn't do anything to deserve their help so many of them have been so selfless with their time and have given me so much and now, right now, you're doing the same for me in a sense. Like, how does it feel to be on like the other side of that? You know, like getting letters and DMs asking for broadcast advice. It's cool, man. Anytime I get, you know, I don't know if overwhelmed is the word, but anytime yeah. I'm like, gosh, there's a bunch of these emails to reply to, it's very easy for me to remind myself of being on the other side of it and what it meant to me to hear back from the guys that I admired. And um, I had always told myself at that time that if I got in a position where I could pass it 
along and uh, pass it on that I was going to be sure to do that. Obviously now from a professional standpoint, obviously you don't have all the time in the world to look at people's stuff, but what would you say is kind of the biggest mistake that young broadcasters make today, whether it's like on-air stuff or even like behind the scenes stuff such as like social media posting the wrong thing? Like what do you think would be like the biggest mistake that you would steer young broadcasters away from as they pursue this? That's a good question. I think off the air, um, I don't know if it's a mistake as much as it is just a philosophy of you've got to nail the off-air basics. So when you think of a resume and cover letter yeah. and your communication when networking, you've got to be perfect on that stuff because there's so many people that want to do this. So like Double A Montgomery, the job I started out in, there were 140 people that applied for that. Yeah. So for a decision maker when there's 140 resumes sitting on the desk if I'm that decision maker I'm looking for any reason I possibly can to shorten the stack and if I see a typo if I see a font that's hard to read that's as good a reason as any to get rid of it before I even listen to right. it so you've got to nail that stuff you know control the controllables and then on here um, I mean I, I just think that You've got to get reps to find where you belong um, in terms of excitement and where your where your voice works best when it comes to the range on excited calls. Um, I think that there is a very specific, especially baseball radio. There's a very specific rhythm to it uh, that not a lot of guys get down. And I think the fundamental philosophy behind it is that the pitch is everything the pitch is the most important thing and nothing we're talking about on radio specifically because tv's a little different right. but on radio there's no story we're talking about or no tangent we go on that's more important than the next pitch and so setting up every single pitch even if it's as simple as saying here's the two one or two two you got to do it on every pitch right. you got to do it before the pitch is delivered or else you're going to be behind and that's going to lead to a common mistake and that is I, I hear a lot guys going too fast and speeding their delivery up to try and catch up on highlight calls mm -hmm. you can prevent that one by telling yourself don't speed up but two by doing each pitch it's due diligence and not putting yourself behind where you have to speed up now from your because you've done both uh, obviously starting out in radio now you're in tv what do you prefer because again they're like two totally different animals tv and uh, radio yeah it's been so long since i've done any radio i guess i'd have to say tv just <laughs> because it's probably been man, six or seven years yeah. since i've done any radio but radio's awesome it's just uh and I wouldn't mind doing it again at some point. I'm not necessarily looking to do it again. I love doing it. But, uh, yeah, I, whatever, I'm, whatever I'm getting paid to do, I'm enjoying for sure. Now, you talked about your time in Montgomery with the Montgomery Biscuits. You were there for three years. You were juggling all sorts of other uh, broadcast gigs at the time, like the, the, the Baylor Network. You were at Comcast Sports Southeast. Even in college, you were, you were a college football player and at the same time doing commentary during the offseason. And the two words I always hear all the time are time management. Like, if you want to succeed, yes. you got to manage your time. How did you go about managing your time with all of this on your plate? I was obsessive about it. Yeah. I, I would write down to the minute schedules and I guess it was that was not me saying okay I'm going to nail time management because I know it's a good skill it was more I have to be great at time management or I have no chance right. I took on so much stuff during college that it was a it was a means of survival um, and, and just that training of taking on as much as I did during college really has applied 
in, in so many ways, maybe more than anything else I learned during college in a classroom or even actual hands-on reps and oh, yeah. games, you know, the, the time management skills that I picked up by putting so much on my plate, uh, I apply every single day, even when I'm not working, you know, in real life stuff. Now, did you do that by accident or was your plan to challenge yourself from the get-go? It's kind of my personality. Yeah. You know, I've always uh, always tried to do everything that I possibly could. And, um, it was my personality, and it was the right kind of school to have that personality where you could find people that were willing to help you out and, and help you chase down any opportunities that might be there or create opportunities that didn't exist. Now, this is always a fun question I like asking broadcasters just because, I, again, a young broadcaster in college, I've done it multiple times. Have you had any, like, really bad broadcast blunders on the air, whether it was from your time in college all the way up to now with uh, Sportsnet LA? I once introduced Miles Simon as Miles Austin. Sweet. Yeah, when he was one of my partners. Um, and then there's always, you know, little, uh, little moments that you like to have back. I actually... Um, Richard Deitch on The Athletic did a piece recently where he asked a bunch of us, what is the one call you wish you could have back? Yeah. And thankfully, knock on wood, I don't have like a big moment that I feel like I truly blew, but I'm always going back and saying I wish I would have done this or that differently. See, that's really good because to me, uh, I've said it on, I think we had a softball game. I said sacrifice blunt instead of sacrifice bunt. And I was, yeah, like, but it's just verbiage, right? Like, it it sounds really bad, but it's verbiage. I was talking to um, Victor Rojas last week. He said he dropped an F bomb in the middle of a Diamondbacks Angels game, and they ended up suspending him for two games. So, wow. So, like, you're in a good spot for that. Yeah. 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 And uh, I think that. We all make those kinds of yeah. mistakes, and you're going to make fewer of them the more you do it. Now, I was listening to you guys do, you and Oral have been doing your off-the-air podcast for uh, a few weeks now, and I listened to the episode that dropped today, which was you guys describing your calls to the big leagues. Obviously, mm-hmm. uh, Dave and Oral are very different uh, compared to you being uh, more on the journalism side. In a nutshell here, I don't want you to get into all the gory details, because again, I don't want to waste too much of your time, but what was the whole experience like, uh, like getting that call from the Dodgers for their play-by-play position because like it just seemed like a total anxiety attack on my end like I, w- I would have been insanely anxious for the amount of time and uh, uh, just the experience that went into that yeah it was a very slow process you know as you heard more than a year long yeah um, it was thrilling it really was I mean it, it was thrilling it was exciting it was scary all the things you would imagine um, I'm sure there was some anxiety to it as well but I think the thing was I didn't feel like I had to take it right. I was in a good spot with the national stuff so it wasn't like one of those things where it was like I have to get this job or I'm screwed you know, right. I, I, I was kind of playing with house money a little bit because of the national work I already had so that probably made it less um, anxiety filled than you might imagine now when after all that goes down of course you got the the voicemail from Vince Scully and obviously like the whole big thing when you took over was Vince Scully's retiring Joe Davis is taking over obviously you're you Vince Vin the goal is to be yourself on the air did you and uh, Vince Scully ever talk about that experience of you taking over when he was ready to move on and did he offer any advice or encouragement when that transition occurred yeah his advice was to be myself yeah and same advice Red Barber gave him when he started in 1950. And there really wasn't a ton of time spent 
uh, Ben and I together just because he was, you know, 2016, he was doing home games, I was doing road games, so we were always in opposite places, but um, that was the big thing that he wanted me to take. I find that actually very fascinating that Red Barber gave him that advice and then he he throws it on to you. Like that that's yeah. just, that's goose that probably gave you a ton of goosebumps yes, right there. For sure, for sure. When was the first time uh, all your years at Fox Sports as well? Like when was the first time when you, like you made it into broadcasting and you kind of had like that holy crap moment like this is like this I finally belong here. Like that moment where you're like okay, I'm now one of the guys. Uh, doing my first ESPN games was big. I think seeing the, you know, hearing the ESPN theme music and seeing the ESPN mic flag, and then my first game as the guy uh, with the Dodgers, my first opening day at Dodger Stadium, that was a pretty overwhelming thing to look out over the 53,000 people and you know, that iconic backdrop of the San Gabriels and to know what it meant to sit in the chair that I was sitting in. That was a pretty overwhelming moment, too. Obviously, now you've been with the Dodgers for a few years now. You and Oral Hershiser, like, just chemistry right off the bat, I feel like. Like, how special is that? Because you don't get that, um, at least not off the bat, 10% of the time, you know? Like, even uh, in college, like, that's probably our biggest issue with uh, uh, two commentators trying to find that chemistry to kind of have a conversation throughout a broadcast. Like, how fun has it been uh, for you and Oral to kind of have that chemistry right off the bat? Uh, is everything and with a long baseball season you better at least put up with the person you know be okay putting up with the person that uh, you're going to be with because you spent a lot of time with yeah. him so the fact that he and I have become best friends and really we're best friends right away we just we hit it off um, that's been the biggest reason that it's gone well I think and he he deserves the credit on that putting his arm around me and making me feel welcome and um, it's it's been a special thing getting to grow up in the job with him by my side now with the off the air podcast is this just kind of a coronavirus setup or do you guys plan on moving forward with this going forward we're gonna keep doing it yeah we're gonna keep doing it even when the season begins i think awesome when it comes to uh, obviously you got your 150 plus dodger play-by-play games your role on the national side with fox sports what's the preparation like for a regular season game compared to a postseason game because i know you did uh, the division series last year and even won american league championship series game last year mm-hmm. yeah i think the i really uh i guess the, the difference is more Dodgers to national than it is regular yeah. season to postseason. Yeah. I think that you know I, I probably do. Um, you, you just got to you have to nail the basics again on less storylines um, when you're doing you know the national stuff. You got to have like the headlines for each player and for right. the season. Got to know the story of the season, uh, and and you got a week to do that. Right? When you're picking up two teams and and doing two new teams each week, whereas the Dodgers stuff you're doing that preparation every day you're kind of living it right, you're kind of living right. that story that yeah. writes itself over the summer has your uh, preparation evolved over the years from obviously sure. starting college all the way up till now even your time in the big leagues has it evolved yeah for sure i think it's always evolving i'm just always trying to be more efficient with it and, you know it goes back to the time management thing and you learn yeah. what to prioritize um and not just time management but I've found that less is more where like I trust that I know this stuff and I do so much preparation and then when it comes time to actually do it I think it's important to I've I've found ways to prioritize 
what I take to a game with me, what I have in front of me during a game, um, where I, I feel more freed up and not bogged down by the prep. For obviously quick and close games, you guys are talking about the game, mentioning a few fun facts here along the way, trying to, again, paint that picture for the audience. Has there been a game, like a giant blowout game, where you guys almost ran out of information? Like, or Obviously, you guys have people talking in your ear. You're not going to run out of information. But like when you actually look at your game prep, has there ever been a, a, a game where you actually started running out of stuff or out of notes to uh, talk about on the air? I think that, yeah, blowouts happen, and there's so many games. You're going to feel better some nights than others. Right. And even, even not all blowouts are created equal. Some of them move a little faster and are a little more fun. It's different if the Dodgers are winning versus losing. Right. Um, every game is a little bit different, but yeah, they're definitely nights where we feel like, God, we were not very entertaining tonight, not very interesting tonight. Um, but that's just, I guess, to be expected when there are as many games as there are. Do you prefer like a big blowout, a long game, like a long blowout game compared to a short kind of uneventful game? Like let's say there's like a four-hour game, but Dodgers win 20-4, to four, Bellinger hits four home runs. It's just a highlight package compared to a two-to-one game where nothing oh, really happens. Game. Get out of there easier? No, not no. Just the drama of a two-to-one game is a whole lot better than right. a 20-to-4 game. Is there ever a time where you kind of, like I just kind of alluded to, uh, get out of a game like an hour and 45 minutes, two-hour game, you're like, well, that was quick and easy? Because, again, it For is sure. a long you haul. Yeah. feel better the, the fast games. You always typically, you always feel better, um, I think, rhythmically, like in a quick game. A game that has a nice tempo to it, a nice pace. I always come away feeling like I was better. Whereas if the game drags and there's not much rhythm to it, pitchers taking forever between pitches, it's really hard to feel like you're smooth calling the game. Do you have a specific or favorite call that you've had since your time in LA with the Dodgers? Not necessarily. The cool thing is there's so many moments they've had in the few years that I've been there that they've given me a lot of chances to have memorable ones. So it's a long list of memorable moments. I don't necessarily have one call that I feel like was my best or anything like that, but very lucky that there were so many chances to be a a small part of the moment. Now, growing up, obviously, you played college football at at Beloit, and obviously, uh, being in the journalism side of things, too, on the media side, how easy or tough has it been building relationships with players? Because, obviously, you talk to them day in, day out basis. I don't know if you're in the clubhouse every day, but how how is building those relationships on a day-to-day day basis like yeah i've tried to let it happen as yeah. opposed to kind of throwing myself on them um it probably happened slower than it could have but i think that it's the right way to go about it my whole right. philosophy early on was to be seen but not heard so right. to be around and not be some some figure that was up in some dark figure up in the booth talking about them right um, right yeah I, I was there if if you know, if they needed to talk to me, if I said anything wrong, I was there to learn, but I was not there to say anything. Um, and, and have let those relationships develop over time. And I think playing the long game like that is probably uh, what I would recommend. Right. Have you had any? Um, I don't want to call it blunder, but like a like a some, like something you said on the air, and you had to go talk things over no, with a certain player. No. no? Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of that. Good. Four years on the job. I've never once had a player come up to me and say, you know, what the heck was that? Is <laughs> that wrong? Right. So I'm sure it's a matter of time you know, it was, it, for any of us, but um, so far, so good. 
Oh, good for you. Do you think that uh, baseball is going to be played in 2020 in some capacity? Obviously, now we're hearing that uh, at the earliest, that July 1st, July 2nd, they're aiming for opening day, June 10th, a potential spring training. But do you think that things are going to get rolling? And in what capacity do you think that MLB is going to be played this year? I hope it will be. I think that wherever it's played, it'll be in front of fans, at least at first. But I don't think anybody really knows, man. You know, it's like... To say you know is to say that you know what the virus is going to do and how we're going to control it and you know, how we're going to come up with a, a vaccine or, or not that it's going to take a vaccine to play, but uh, I just think that there's too much unknown for anybody to know for sure. Do you feel as if, because I think this is a very interesting concept because the Houston Astros, of course, were enemy number one going into the 2020 season, and I feel like this takes a huge hit out of that considering base, baseball fans and sports fans in general just want the sport to be back. So I feel like when the sport's back, it's not going to be as big of a deal as it was. But do you think that the Houston Astros scandal stuff and them being public enemy number one is going to uh, shift focus once again once the season does take place? Yeah, I think they'll get off a little easy on it. Yeah. Um, especially if nobody's in the stands. You know, they're not going to get, they're not going to get, uh, they're going to hear it in every city the way I think that they were about to. Going forward as a professional broadcaster, what what do you what would you say is your biggest goal moving forward? Honestly, just to keep getting better and to be diligent about using every game as a chance to get better and, and taking every highlight call and learning from it and applying it the next day. And, uh, just uh, continue to, to develop all the skills that you know I'm sure you're working at right now. I, I never want to lose the passion for improving all those little things. I think the moment you do that in anything, in any line of work, um, that's not a good moment. So just to continue to get better and hopefully uh, keep the jobs that I have because I'm very lucky to have them. Right. And uh, you talk about repetition. Have you been doing any any exercises, any kind of like air broadcasts over the past few months to try and stay no. ready for the season? No. No. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Enjoying a, a break for once. Yeah. That's for sure. Doing a lot of reading. Enjoying time with the family, of course. Yeah, exactly. Any new episodes of uh, Cooking with Joe coming out anytime soon? Anything you know about? I think they're going to do one every other week. I haven't recorded anything, but I think they expect one sometime soon. It's an obligation now? It's a part of the contract? Uh, yeah, they don't have it in the contract yet, but I guess uh, via text it's become an obligation. Catch new episodes of The O Show for free, available on all audio platforms including Apple, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. For full video versions of the podcast, head on over to YouTube and StarWorldWideNetworks.com. The O Show is presented by Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Mayweather Boxing and Fitness is an inclusive, high-intensity fitness experience developed by the champ Floyd Money Mayweather himself. The best group boxing workout in the market, Mayweather Boxing and Fitness. Kind of to start with you, you know, uh, growing up in Colorado, um, being, because I know you're, you're like a big Broncos family, you guys, growing up in Colorado Springs. So was it always for you, because you didn't initially want to, you know, pursue journalism right off the bat, or was it more of along the lines that you didn't know what you wanted right off the bat? Like, what was your experience, you know, going into this? 
school trying to do what you wanted to do? Well, I think uh, when I originally was in high school going into college for the first time, I really didn't even think of journalism as an industry. I didn't know any, I didn't know any better. I mean, I didn't have a lot of people um, before me that got into this industry. And so I kind of went the business route and I received a bachelor's um, in international business with a marketing emphasis and kind of just went the sales and hospitality route. And then I was just really bored. I worked in um, the beverage industry and the, ho- the hospitality industry for about five years. And then I said, you know, if I could do anything, what would it be? And I was always been a sports fan. So I just said, you know, I kind of had an epiphany and said, if I could do anything, what would it be? And I went back to school and I took a second mortgage out of my house to go back to college and pay for it. And you know, got into journalism. And when I started, I didn't even know what a beat was. I had no idea like what the crime beat was or education beat or, you know, a beat writer or whatever. So I was very, very green and starting at the bottom, but I was also a lot older than most people. I didn't go back to school to get my master's in journalism until I was 28. So um, completely switched gears and, and completely started over and always been a sports fan, knew I really wanted to do something I was passionate about. It didn't feel like a job. And you know, got a master's in journalism and, and started at the bottom. I uh, worked, you know, there's 200 television markets and I worked my way up to, um, you know, I worked in the number one market in the country and the number two market in the country. But I started at number 142. So it's just, you know, it's a process. And, um, you know, 17 years later, here we are. I mean, going back to school and like you said, taking a mortgage out of your home in order to go back, like that's got to be the probably the biggest motivator that there is because you're you basically you're like all right i'm two feet in like i have to make the most out of this because at the same time i'm sacrificing a lot in order to get it yeah you know i think the biggest thing was i always bet on myself and i never it was certainly a risk i mean i I quit my job I, i took a second mortgage out of my house i went back to school i knew nothing um when i started was going to take to be a reporter, but I think I knew that it was something I was passionate about and I knew it was something that I cared about very much. And I always bet on myself. So while it was certainly a risk, I I, honestly, I did it and kind of never looked back. So it was, a, it was, it was well worth it considering, um, the career I've been fortunate enough to have. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, you definitely have to look back and say like, thank God I made the right decision. It all worked out at the end of the day. And you weren't at first like the biggest baseball fan, right? Because obviously growing up in Colorado, you didn't get the Rockies until what, like 93, 94. And then like a big football fan. How were you able to make that big adjustment? Because I know you got the, uh, the gig with the Rockies, you know, during their run, you know, early on late 2000s, 2007, they go on that massive run, go to the World Series. Were you, again, kind of like learning, like on the cusp of things, you know, like looking back at it now, like compared to your knowledge of the game now, as opposed to what it was back then, kind of just like, again, going on the cusp and, and trying to figure things out? I think, you know, in in this industry, when you're starting out, you go where the jobs are. And I knew I had always wanted to get back to Colorado. I mean, being born and raised there, and as you mentioned, uh, a big Broncos fan. But no, we didn't have Major League Baseball until, uh, we had pro ball, but we didn't have Major League Ball until 93. And I was a senior in high school. And, you know, so Major League Baseball was kind of foreign to us. I mean, obviously, we were an expansion team along with the Tampa Bay at the time, the Devil Rays. And um, you know, it was an opportunity to get back to Colorado and I knew very little, I knew the basics of baseball, but I knew very little about, you know, the intricacies of the game and the strategy and everything. And I remember 
I was in Madison, Wisconsin at the time. I was at CBS there uh, covering all, you know, everything Wisconsin-related sports. And I, I had an out in my contract that said if there was an opportunity in Denver, they had to let me go. And they did, and they were gracious, and it was fine. And um, But it was to cover baseball. And, I, you know, Aaron Cook at the time was the Rockies' ace, and he's a sinkerball guy. And I was like, I don't even, I don't even know what that is. But... Um, you know, you just put yourself out there and I learned and I, and I asked questions and I studied and I learned and I watched games and, um, you know, now baseball's my favorite and there's not a single major league baseball game that I wouldn't watch or go to or whatever. And, you know, I've spent the majority of my television sports career in baseball. Whereas if you would have asked me that when I got into this, that probably, I would have probably told you it was my least favorite as far as the five major sports are concerned. So or the four major, really, if you think about it, but, um, yeah, it's, you know, you never know. I mean, there's, it's so hard to get into this industry. It's even harder to stay and you kind of go where the jobs are. And in order for me to get back to Colorado at the time, it was going to be primarily a baseball job. And it turned out to be, you know, one of the greatest decisions I ever made because I can't imagine my life now without baseball in it. I mean, it kind of goes to show how much like you can actually plan, but at the end of the day, God's got his own plan. Like you wouldn't even imagine, you know, like 15 years ago, like you would have been in the situation that you are now covering a sport that you not, didn't necessarily like expect to, you know, want to cover and fall in love with. Who were some of the, uh, you know, the mentors early on when you were trying to figure things out, whether it was with the Rockies or even later on with the Dodgers? Yeah, you know, I think I get that question quite a bit about who in the industry kind of, paved the way for me. And I think there's a lot of, you know, really great people that have done this, both men and women. I didn't have one person that I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have that person's job. You know, it was the one person that I idolized, but there are people in this industry, certainly of, of both genders that I admire in terms of the work that they do. I mean, I think uh, Mike Tirico is phenomenal. I think John Saunders does an amazing job. Um, I, you know, I think with, in terms of females, uh, Michelle Tafoya is tremendous. Uh, she's, you know, uh, in, unflappable. Um, you know, Linda Cohn has done it for decades and has done an amazing job in terms of, of this industry. Um, Susie Colbert, I, I look up to a lot. I mean, more people, you know, you know, people probably your age and younger um, look, you know, people like Laura Rutledge, who's, doing so many different things with ESPN in terms of their SEC coverage and everything she's doing with the NFL. And, you know, I've known her for a really long time. And there's a lot of women in this industry I admire. Um, you know, Chris Budden, who's also on ESPN, Allison Williams on ESPN, Emily Jones, who's my counterpart with the Texas Rangers, Sophia Minnert with the Brewers, Jenny Kavnar with the Rockies, who actually took my job when I left the Rockies to go to MLB Network. Um, you know, we have a constant thread of about seven sideline reporters that are constantly going back and forth about just, you know, funny things or things in the industry or questions or, you know, things that they've, that, you know, we've been approached with or approached by. And um, there's a lot of people in this industry that have done it the right way that I, I look up to and I admire as, as colleagues now versus somebody like, Oh, I wish I could have their job. It's more of like that person's my, my friend and my colleague. But I think the one person throughout my entire life that's been like the biggest role model or whatever is just my mom. I mean, my mom's always been somebody that has never pushed, but always supported. And, um, you know, she's obviously been the one that's known me the longest and, and the constant in my life. The one that knows you the best, too. And yeah, you, I would think so. Yeah, you, like, rattle off, like, a plethora of different names. Or that, again, that kind of goes to show, like, the networking aspect of the business, too. Like, everybody is, you know, so giving and... 
networking is about giving at the end of the day. Like, I feel like a lot of kids, at least my age, are kind of still trying to figure that out. Um, how, how have you felt like early on when you're, you know, quote unquote, climbing the ladder in the business, trying to like find your niche, trying to find your spot, trying to accomplish your goals at the end of the day. How early on did you figure out that it is important to, again, like help others along the way, as opposed to just like worrying about yourself? Because I know at least kids, again, my age, still trying to kind of figure it out. But like, again, it's about those life experiences early on that kind of um, mold you into what your mentality is going forward. So how early on did you kind of figure that stuff out? I mean, I think that's either who you are or who you aren't. I think you're either a philanthropic person or you're not. I think you're either a person that's going to surround you yourself with people that you want to help or you're going to step all over people. I think I've always been that person that's wanted to lend a helping hand to others in the industry and and certainly uh, women in this industry too. And But I, you know, I want to help everybody, not just... I don't think I've been given anything because of my gender. I certainly don't think I've been... Um, denied anything because of my gender either. I think the biggest thing is, is work ethic and initiative more than, than anything, uh, especially in baseball. If you don't know what the heck you're talking about, you will be exposed in baseball. I mean, in a sport that's 162 games a year on a daily basis. So um, I think it's incredibly important to help people around you. And there's, there's room for all of us. And there's room for, um, especially with all the different mediums now in terms of, you know, all the Zooms and podcasts and social media and this, that, and the other thing, and all the digital platforms. There's, there's a lot more available today than when I was getting ready to try to get into the industry. I mean, I must have sent out a hundred VHS tapes. I don't even know if you know what the heck a VHS tape is, but I must have sent out a hundred of those things before I got my first job. You know, it took me five months to get my first on-air job, and that was the one in Wichita Falls, Texas, which was Market 142. So um, it's a process, and I think the more people you can help along the way and the more cheerleaders you have and the more people you can cheer for, um, the better it is. You don't, you don't get anywhere by smashing other people down. Wow. I mean, that is, I mean, you explained that perfectly there. And like, just to speak like hypothetically, because you talk about, you know, the different aspects of social media today, like we're on a Zoom call right now, you know, everybody's got their own podcast, everybody's got their own content, everybody's trying to be a content creator, whether it's, you know, college kids, athletes, musicians, whatever. Do you think that your approach to wanting to pursue journalism would have been different? Because, you, again, you talk about, you know, going back to school because you wanted to pursue journalism. You take a mortgage out of your home in order to do it. You're sacrificing a lot. If you had the technology that we have today back then, would you have gone back to school or would you have just kind of like tried to pick people's brains about th certain things and then start your own stuff as opposed to, again, like going out of your way, spending a lot of money and then, you know, trying to go a different route. Cause I'm just curious about that. Cause again, a lot of kids don't necessarily have the degrees today, but they're finding ways to make it done just cause they have a passion for it. Yeah. You know, that's a good question. I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, I, I think, for me, I, I love school. I've always been a nerd. I've always loved um, education. I could go and get another, you know, I have a master's. I could go on forever and get a billion degrees. Um, but I, I don't, there, yeah, I mean, there, that wasn't even an option. Like, there, like, I didn't even, there was no podcast when I went back to, you know, when I was in college. I've been out of college now for 
Oh, brother. I graduated with my master's in 2003. So what year is this? 21. I've been out of college 18 years already. I mean, it's so it's very um, it's, it is. It's a very different world. That being said, I think there's something to be said about the formal education of, of journalism and, you know, kind of the right way to go about um, correspondence and writing. I mean, you know, television is very different than print, obviously, but um, in my opinion, you know, I tell people this all the time, you certainly don't need a master's degree. The only reason I have one is because I already had a bachelor's in something completely different. So um, there's no right way to go about this business. The, the, the one common denominator that I think people that are successful that have achieved a certain level in this industry is work ethic. Work ethic, initiative, drive, sacrifice, being willing to make sacrifices. I mean, everybody wants to start on air in Los Angeles. It doesn't work that way. Like you have to, you have to pay your dues. You know, it took me a long time to get to LA and I was there for seven years and I chose to leave because of personal reasons, but it takes a long time, you know, and, and everybody wants to have the Dodgers job. Everyone wants to have the Yankees job or wants to be Monday night football sideline or whatever. It's a process and nobody has the same path but we all who have achieved that level have all worked our tails off to get there. Whatever the path was, we all have that same drive and, and willingness to sacrifice. I mean, you can't teach passion at the end of the day. And again, I, I grew up in northern New Jersey, big Yankee fan. A ton of my friends are like, I want to be the broadcaster for the New York Yankees. Like, dude, that's not probably, that's probably not going to happen. You know, like you have to have the idea of like, okay, I want to be a sportscaster. How am I going to get there? Because like, if you limit to yourself, to that one thing, whether you want to be the broadcaster of the Yankees, whether you want to take over from Vin Scully with the Dodgers, like you're not going to be very happy at the end of the day with what happens. Like, I feel like you're going to be a very miserable person, but like in your personal experience, I feel like you didn't have to really go through that because again, you were, you decided that you wanted to pursue journalism, but I feel like, you know, working for the Rockies was probably like your number one thing being in Colorado, being born and raised in Colorado. But then you find the gig with the Dodgers that you really wouldn't have expected to, again, like change your life over the past seven years. And it all culminated in some of probably your best work. Well, I do think I certainly didn't go into journalism wanting to do baseball. Right. Uh, I think you go where the opportunities are. And if you sit and talk to Meredith Morakovitz, who is my counterpart for the Yankees, who's a friend of mine, I mean, she'll tell you the exact same thing. Maybe she grew up and said, I want to be the Yankee sideline reporter. I doubt it. Right. Um, but she's qualified and she earned her way to get that job. And um, it's, it's a, it's just an, it's an interesting, interesting in industry. You know, and I kind of say, just like when you're in the minor leagues and you get called up to the show, it's one thing to get called up. It's another thing to stay there. I mean, if you can have longevity in this business, um, that, that's something to be proud of. And no, I mean, I, I, you go, I never would have thought that I was going to go from, you know, Colorado to Wichita Falls, Texas, to Madison, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin, back to Denver, Colorado. I didn't, you know, I didn't necessarily go back to Denver because I wanted to cover baseball. I went back to Denver because I wanted to go home mm -hmm. and baseball just ended up being one of the best things that ever happened to me. But had I been like, oh my God, I don't want to cover baseball. You know, I really would have shut the door to a lot of other opportunities. And then, you know, I went from Denver to New York to MLB network in Secaucus. And then when the Dodgers launched their new network, I came back to, you know, I came back to the a team level and, and started that network in 2014. So if you try to predict your path, it's like, we always say with, you know, the base, you know, the baseball gods, it's like, it, 
if you want to see the baseball gods laugh at you, try to plan a dinner after, you know, on a day game, because inevitably you'll go into extra innings or you'll have a rain delay or whatever. So you can't really plan. I mean, yes, you can have goals. You can certainly have a goal, but if you have like, I'm going to be this, you're kind of shutting yourself out to other opportunities that you didn't even probably realize that existed or that you wanted. Right. I mean, you need the foundation at the end of the day. Like the foundation is going to get you to, again, that passion, that drive in order to go out and try and do something, but not necessarily do the specific thing that you have in mind. Again, you kind of have to like expand your horizons in that sense. And you talked about, you know, jumping all over the place, whether it was with the Rockies, going to MLB Network for those two years, going to the Dodgers, like in, in a cold way, like everybody in life is replaceable, especially in, in, in the business world. What are like some specific like experiences that you had that you knew like, okay, it was really hard getting here, but now that you got there, you're like, oh my God, it's even harder trying to keep this gig. Cause again, everybody at the end of the day can be replaced. Well, I mean, they hired somebody to replace me a week after I left. So it goes to show you that everybody is replaceable. I mean, there's people that will, you know, live in your heart and in your mind for a really long time, but it's a business. And, you know, as much as I appreciated my time with the Dodgers and they appreciated me being there, like you got to move on. So, um, Everybody is certainly replaceable, but I I don't think I noticed, and I still, I'm not retiring. So I'm still, you know, I'm still going to be doing this. I'm just trying to figure out what the next step is. But for me, and I think baseball, and you can ask Clayton Kershaw this too. You never, like, I never thought about all I had accomplished while I was doing it. Like there's going to come a time in my life where I can take a step back and look back at what I've done and be like, wow, you know, that was really special. Like sometimes at the end of the seasons, I'll I'll look back at like photos or whatever and think about, geez, you know, we really did a lot this year. Um, But when you're in the middle of it, I don't, I don't think you notice it as, at least I don't. And, And Kirsch is the same way. We've had this conversation at length where he's like, Maybe when I'm retired, I'll I'll take a step back and and realize all that I've done. And obviously he's a first ballot hall of famer. So he's had an amazing career already and he's not done. So um, I'll get there someday where I'm like, wow, you know, that's like, there's a lot of really cool stuff I've been able to do, but I'm fortunate. I've been in this industry for 16 years and 17 years. And hopefully, you know, hopefully I'm not done. I don't want to be done. We'll see. I mean, what was it, a seven, eight-year run with the Dodgers? I mean, that's still... Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, seven years and, you know, seven straight trips to the postseason, three World Series, one championship, should have been two, but one championship, um, traveled to Australia, traveled to Mexico with the team, interview Hall of Famers on a daily basis, um, you know, worked with Vince Foley and Jaime Harin, two Hall of Famers. You know, I, I put our broadcast team when I was there up against anybody, any national team. And we have an amazing production team. We have an amazing on-air team. Um, very fortunate. It's one of the best organizations, and I have nothing but, you know, praise um, for my seven years there. It was, it was a lot of fun. A very difficult decision to leave. I did not take it lightly. Um, I still question it, but um, it was the right thing to do for my personal life. So what is that? Because I know you obviously have, um, you know, your Didri's Guardian Foundation as well that you you started a few years back and, you know, doing that side by side. Because I know, especially in Los Angeles, living in Los Angeles, a lot of stray animals, to say the least, is just, you know, not to single out dogs, which is very sad to think about because I know I'm a huge dog person and I just, I don't like thinking about that stuff, but you know, you doing that. Um, and then of course doing the Dodgers gig, like what was it ultimately for you at the end of the day that made you step away or made you want to step away? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I am engaged and my fiance lives on the East Coast and he has two young kids and, and they're here and he needs to be here with them as he should be. And I think, you know, we did the long distance thing for four years and, you know, he's um, his work schedule is changed and he's here now all the time. So it was very difficult to me. I mean, being a baseball writer and a baseball reporter um, is an absolute beating. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a 200 game season between spring training, living in Arizona for six weeks when we were allowed to, um, 162 game regular season and then postseason. and the Dodgers fortunately go deep into October. So it's about 200 games a year that I cover. And, and to do that in LA when we're not traveling and I have no opportunities really to even meet in the middle, um, it's just, it was a lot. And we just decided it was time that, you know, um, coming off on top with the championship and, with him not traveling anymore and needing to be with the kids that it was time for me to try to do something on, on the same coast. So uh, that's the only reason, you know, I, I loved my job and um, it's as simple as that. I ha- at, at a certain point, you know, your priorities change. You're young. I'm not. So it's like your priorities change in time. And now my life needs some sort of balance. I can't just be all professional because I have this other part of my life that's just as important. As far as Gidry's is concerned, I mean, I have a massive, massive, massive passion for animal advocacy and animal welfare. And, you know, Gidry's guardian is named after my dog, Gidry, who I adopted in 2009, who was named after Ron Gidry of the New York Yankees. You would know that because you're a Yankee fan. Um, And it's just been something that I've poured my heart and soul in. And and, in California, big cities in particular, California, Boston, Chicago, New York, Dallas, uh, there's a massive, massive, massive problem of stray animals on the streets and in high kill shelters that get killed on a, you know, on a daily basis just because there's no room. So that's something that, again, provides some sort of balance for me. And I feel like if I could, you know, if I could have left LA better than I found it, it was worth it. And, uh, you know, I want to continue to, I will always support Southern California rescues. Um, and I hope to be able to expand that, you know, nationwide eventually, but you need balance in your life. If not, you'll go crazy. I mean, that's again, the most important thing I feel like, and you taking, you know, stepping away from that gig to move to the East coast. Cause again, that's probably very, very difficult being on separate sides of the country, you know, Boston being up North. And of course you have LA, Southern California, all the way on the other side, on the bottom side. I mean, that's got to be definitely one of the toughest things doing, especially during a 162-game season, even last year, because, again, last year you're probably isolated in a lot of ways doing everything remotely. How, how was that experience doing everything, you know, like not being able to interact with people like, again, like face-to-face on the field, at least for the most part, or at least throughout the early stages and doing everything like this, like remotely via Zoom? Yeah, it was awkward. I mean, it was one thing I pride myself on is is really having good relationships with the players in terms of being able to really kind of get a sense of how how they are. I mean, I, I know them. I know exactly when Justin Turner fills out his crossword puzzle. I know like I know based on body language how guys are are feeling and doing and where they're at in their workout routine and when I can approach and when I can't and just if they're having a bad day. And that whole thing went away uh, with COVID. And having to do every interview like this, I mean, we win the World Series for the first time in 32 years, and I, it took me an hour to get a player on an interview because of this, because this is, you know, this is the, the dynamic and, and the structure that we have now. And it was just really strange to not be, I mean, I traveled with them for seven, six years to be, you know, to not be with them um, everywhere was 
was odd. And, and I, you know, I think one of my strengths is, you know, the long form sit down interview pieces and, and the features and those types of things, and just really getting to know the player and, you know, um, we, that got taken away and, and that got taken away and the fans being not in the stands got taken away. And it was just such a weird year. I think it was harder to win the world series this year than any other year. I mean, honestly, like the stuff we all had to go through, particularly the players that they had to go through to even have a season was insane. So, um, I miss that. I miss, I miss the guys. I mean, like today I would be at spring training and if we were allowed, we would be, you know, they'd be walking in for the first time when pitchers and catchers report and I would be talking to them and we'd be shooting it. And then I remember there's nothing better than hearing the cleats on the concrete for the first time of spring when they come out of their morning meetings and they hit the, the pavement and they're walking out to their respective fields, that sound there's nothing better. And we didn't, you know, we don't get that this year. And it's just, it's just a weird deal. So that was part of the reason too, that I was like, you know what, if this year is going to be the same way, like there's never going to be a good time to walk away, but you know, I guess now, now is as good a time as any. Oh yeah. Like this year, especially like, do you know what the, like, have you talked to some of uh, your friends in the industry when it comes to reporting this year, especially because today pitchers and catchers report, like, is it the same deal? You're not allowed to be there or everything's kind of stored. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're in tier two again, my girls, they're in tier two again. And um, for example, pitchers and catchers actually reported five days ago, most of them, because they had to quarantine. So while pitchers and catchers are physically reporting today in terms of camp, they've, most of them have already been in Arizona or Florida respectively because they had to quarantine to get ready to get back together again. So, um, and it's the same thing for reporters. We're not in tier one. So there's no clubhouse access. There's no player access. You can't go out and just stand on the warning track and watch them do anything, uh, you know, PFPs or whatever. So it's, it's, it's all like this again, it's, it's zoom. And, um, you know, or standing six feet away from them and screaming a question. It's just, it's just a different, different scenario. And it's like Sophia Minert with the Brewers, you know, she got there. Um, they, um, spring train in Maryville, Arizona, and, you know, she had to quarantine and it's, it's just, a, it's just a weird deal. And I get it. It's like, it's a small price to pay, obviously safety and health are the most important thing, but so much of what we do on a daily basis as a baseball reporter is the day-to-day interaction with players. And we just don't have that anymore. So do you definitely feel like it's a handicap situation as opposed to efficient? Because I feel like, again, this is already a year into this whole pandemic, which is crazy. But, you know, like 10 months ago, I had no idea how to use Zoom. Now everybody is so efficient in using all this different types of technology to, again, remotely connect with people. I feel like as we went along, as we evolved with all of this, people kind of realized how efficient it is, you know, picking up interviews. You don't have to be at the ballpark in order to just hop on a Zoom call with someone and get a quick five minutes to talk about something that you want to use for the game. Do you feel like this is going to be definitely like a factor that gets played into a quote-unquote new normal going into, you know, whether it's halfway through this year, 2022, 2023, when things do get back to normal and things, you know, like fans are allowed back in the ballparks and you're allowed to actually interact with people, uh, you know, in the press room, in the clubhouse, in the dugout, stuff like that. I hope that leagues and teams do not use this as an excuse. Yeah. I hope that we can get back to where we were. Um, I really hope that eventually I know fans will all be allowed back because that's just a revenue profit thing. So that's going to happen. 
Um, once it's safe for fans to be at full capacity, that will definitely happen. As far as media access is concerned, again, I don't know. I, I, you know, I'd, you'd be hard-pressed to find any player that's going to say, oh, I can't wait for the media to be back in the clubhouse. Um, you know, that's their space. They're not real big on it. They don't have to do interviews. It's not in the collective bargaining agreement to say, hey, you have to talk to Alana. They do it because they know I have a job to do, but it's not their favorite thing in the world to talk to the media. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm different than the regular media just because I was a team reporter. But I hope that in time we do get back to some sort of normalcy with the way that it was before, because you're missing out on a lot of really, really good stories um, when you don't have that type of access. And uh, I, I just hope that now that people see that, like, the world can still carry on through Zoom, I hope that it doesn't all stay on Zoom because the only thing I wish is that I would have bought Zoom stock. That's the only thing I wish, you know, I would have known prior to all of this because I would be, we'd all be really, really loaded. <laughs> um, everybody would have been, I'm shocked a lot of people didn't just jump on that right off the bat. Like as soon as all of this, as soon as everything was getting shut down, like that should have been my number one thought. Like looking back, yeah. bring up a great point. Like, I don't know why, but yeah. you know, like 90% of having a conversation with someone is like reading body language. And like, I guess you can get that over zoom. Like if you're really paying attention but at the same time, it's not the same. You know, no, I, I knew guys, I could tell how they were feeling based on like the direction that their feet would go. I mean, I, I, I could tell a guy, I could tell who was coming out of the dugout based on their shoes and the way that they walked. Like I just, I was that in tune. I mean, I was with them every single day, you know? So, um, and even my photographer would, if, if my foot would turn a certain way, I didn't even have to say anything. He knew I was ready to go and, you know, do certain things. So there is such a, a disconnect without having that personal interaction on a daily basis because you don't have the same sort of feel. You only get, you know, I get three or four minutes with the, with the guy now on, on a computer before other people have to start asking questions. Like you can't just have a normal sit down conversation. Or, I mean, I wouldn't sit in the clubhouse because there's unwritten rules, but you know what I mean? Like you can't have a normal conversation with a player just as a just as a person let alone a player and a reporter just as a person so very very different i mean i'm thankful we had something <laughs> but i hope that it goes back to a time when you know you can have a lot more interaction with people yeah i mean it must be tough over zoom because did you guys have like set times that you're like all right you only get four or five minutes here because like i feel like you being a team reporter in a normal situation like you obviously have a better relationship with the players than you know regular media coming in and out all the time yeah normally we would go and there's a certain amount of time you can be in the clubhouse and you'd go in and it would be you know 45 minutes to an hour and you would just go in there and, and talk to guys and you know i was never the type of person though if i didn't have something to do i, I was not in there that is their space i don't want to be in their space i would go in i'd get my job done and i would get out i don't hang out i don't loiter um because i don't want anybody in my space you know, if I'm working, I don't want someone just standing there staring at me. Um, so, yes, there was a much more of an opportunity to talk to guys. With Zoom, you're kind of at the mercy of whenever they show up because you can't go up to them anymore. You're, you're at the mercy of when they actually get up, come to the room, sit down, get on the computer. You know, PR has to get it set up. Um, yeah, it's just it's all it's all very different now. And it stinks being like the World Series season, like you said, first time in like 33 years. Like that's 
this is the situation that you guys had to work with during arguably their most memorable season yeah. as a unit for, cause again, you what went to three world series in the last four years reporting this team. So like, that's definitely gotta be bittersweet in a sense, but you actually got, you got to go to Arlington for the world series though, right? I did. I was in, I was in Arlington for three weeks because they had, they played all the games there in Arlington. So I was, I lived there for three weeks. So, it, you know, that was fine. But again, I wasn't on the field. I was, I was in a suite the entire time. So I could have been, on the moon doing the same thing I did in Arlington. Um, cause I was in Texas, but you'd never know it other than I, you could see the stadium behind me. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I still have yet to see the world series trophy. I haven't seen it. Um, I mean, I have before, but I haven't seen the one in 2020. Right. Um, you know, so everyone got their picture with it. Normally I'd be on the plane with them. Normally I'd be on the field with them. You know, it, it, you know, that emotion and that, that raw energy, that's what we would have experienced on Sportsnet LA with these guys. Like I've done for the last six years in the clubhouse with the champagne and the, you know, that's what we missed out on um, because we didn't, we didn't get to do that this year. So you know, it's, it's unfortunate. I'm glad that we were, again, I'm, I'm thankful we were able to have a season at all. It was just, I feel like, I feel like we were robbed, you know, uh, of, of the joy of the culmination of what an insane year it was. Is that some of the more, you know, memorable moments? Like you talk about winning pennants, winning divisions, you know, with the Dodgers, you guys were always in the playoffs, probably you won the division more so often almost every year you were there, you know, like, are those the, the moments that stick out to you over the past seven years? You know, the, the, the victories, yeah. the champagne, all of that. I think just what sticks out the most is the opportunity to just see these guys grow up. Yeah. You know, I, I knew Corey and, and Jock and, and Cody before they got drafted, yeah. you know, um, just seeing them become men and dads and husbands and, you know, husbands, dads, sometimes different order. Um, that's a cool thing to, to see these guys grow up, um, to see Clayton throw a no hitter and just kind of step out of the frame and let his wife enjoy it with him on the field. Um, to see Clayton finally win a world series, <laughs> you know, after, uh, after the postseason narrative, um, and Kenley, everything he went through with his heart issue and the selflessness of just going into the bullpen and not being the closer or pitching in the ninth, but being willing to pitch in the sixth. Turner, uh, Justin Turner and I basically started with the Dodgers on the same day. Uh, you know, in 2014, he was a non-roster invite. Um, it was my first year with the team full-time. I was in the parking lot when he found out he made the team. Um, you know, and just witnessing that moment. And he's the face of the franchise. I can't imagine Justin Turner in any other uniform. Um, that type of stuff is really special. Obviously the day to day is, is cool. Um, but that's what you're expected to, to see what you don't, what you take for granted sometimes are the emotional things that come along the way and seeing guys really come into their own max months. He didn't have a job, um, you know, back to back 30 plus home run seasons. Chris Taylor's a totally different guy here than he was in Seattle. You know, I'll miss Kike. I mean, Kike and I had some epic interviews because he's a clown, um, but he's a good dude. And I love Kike. I love his family. I love it. You know, he, he became a dad. You know, so to see this, these guys, like, it's your family. I mean, I'm with the, I was with them more than I was with my own family. And um, so there's a lot of, I mean, I, I, this, this is totally random. I did not plan this. I just happened to have to move into the office and like, this is on my desk, but like this type of stuff, you know, like, I yeah. mean, I got to, I have to frame it. That's why it's on here. But you know, it's like to be able to work with Vin 
is amazing. And I'm in Irene and, you know, it's been cool. It's been, it was a really, really fun, again, I'm not retiring. Like I don't, I, I want to stay in the game, but I, I was fortunate, very fortunate enough to be able to do some really, really fun things. I mean, that's crazy that you get to see, you know, like you said, these young boys at the time, like before they get drafted, you talk about the Cody's and, and the Jack Peterson's of the world kind of, you know, morphing, evolving into young men, into fathers. Like you said, like that's probably the next you know, phase of my life that I'm really looking forward to seeing kids that, you know, I grew up with and kids that I've built relationships with kind of, you know, form into young adults and see how they mature over time, you know, like, and, and you like being in a, in a, like a class A organization with the Los Angeles Dodgers, like you said, getting to work with people who have been working for that industry for 35, 40, 50 years of Vince Scully. I mean, greatest broadcaster who ever lived, you know, like the inspiration for a ton of sportscasters around the world wanting to get into this industry is because of Vince Scully and how he's able to, you know, insert that aspect of storytelling into every broadcast, you know, like in those early years, like getting to pick his brain had to be like one of the most amazing opportunities ever because he's probably got just like a he's an amazing man and he's just as amazing as a human being as you would think he is i mean he's just a very very kind kind humble man and um you know i worked with vin for two years and you know he was obviously towards the end of his career he, he did it for 67 seasons so he wasn't traveling as much when i got there as he you know did in the past but he's a sweetheart and he's, you know, he's Vince Scully and nobody will ever do it better. And the one thing I, you know, commend Joe Davis on is he didn't try to be Vin. And that's the, that's the dumbest thing he could have done was to try to be Vin. And, and, and Joe is incredibly talented and he's going to be on our screens for decades to come. And, uh, you know, he obviously respects what Vin did, but he also has his own stamp in his own way. And, um, you know, it's, it's been fun. It's been really a, a cool, a cool time. And I cherish, you know, I cherish a lot of what I did and, you know, it just goes to show you, you know, my good friend, a good friend, to all of us really Pedro Gomez passing away unexpectedly on Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, that just, I guarantee, I think about him a lot and I say, you know, that's why, that's why I left because nobody wishes they would have worked more when they're on their deathbed. And that's why I needed to, to make the move to, to just change gears and work someplace else. Um, because I just couldn't do it anymore, but it's been, it's been incredible. And, uh, you know, I highly encourage people to, to follow your passion because that's what this was for me. Sports was my passion. It started out as football. It's become baseball, even though I'm still, you know, Broncos fanatic, but, um, if you follow your passion, whatever the path is to get there, it will never feel like a job. Right. I mean, just to like allude to what you said about, you know, Pedro Gomez, like well-respected guy, you obviously knew him, personally like those are kind of like the eye-opening things like we saw it with at least just in the public eye we saw it with kobe bryant last january like you you see some of these big public figure deaths and it kind of like makes you like take a step back and be like okay my eyes are open now like i you, you never really know when your last day is going to be your last breath, you know, not to sound corny in any way like that, but like you really have to take a step back and, you know, discover what's most important for you at that time. And, and you're doing that right now, making the move to Massachusetts, you know, like during, you know, again, over the past seven years or so with the Dodgers, 162 game season, it's a grind. Like you're, you love what you do, but at the same time, it's still really hard doing that on a daily basis. Like you're off days, you're traveling, uh, when you're working, it's, it's nonstop. You're, you're 
insanely busy. What are, what are some of the things, because I know you have the foundation, you know, you, you, what are some of the things that you do when you're, again, like traveling with the team at the ballpark to, you know, kind of step away from the game and step away from work? What are some of like the hobbies that you do, whether it's like with the broadcast team or kind of on your own? I mean, I'll tell you, it's a, it's tough during the year. I mean, I, I, your social life is non-existent. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a grind for sure. And, uh, the thing that, you know, we, we, if we happen to have a day game where we had a chance to go out to dinner, we would go as a team. Um, you know, it'd be me, Joe Oral, our producer, Mike Levy, um, would usually be the four for sure that would go. And then, you know, sometimes other folks would join us. Um, we love, we love good food and we love good wine, all of us. So that was, a, that was a big thing for us. Um, you know, Oral, Nomar, myself, we're all wine snobs. So uh, they have a bigger budget than I do, but um, we had a great time doing that. So eating out, having good wine, um, you know, I would try to work out in the morning if I can, um, but you know, you don't get back to the hotel until 1230, one o'clock and you know, you're back at the ballpark at 12, 1231 o'clock. So you don't have a ton of time, but um, I, I wasn't great with balance. I wasn't great with, uh, you know, getting away, um, but I did start the foundation and that, you know, kind of really took a lot of my time. And then last year with COVID, we didn't travel. So it was actually the first summer I got to spend in California, which was really nice, um, you know, full time. So I've never loved living anywhere more than I love living in Manhattan beach. And I've never loved, you know, working anywhere more than I loved working with the Dodgers and living in California. So, um, yeah, it's just a new chapter. Yeah. I mean, definitely a, a nice chapter to look back on. And like when you're again, traveling all over the place, like when you really like take a step back and look at it, like there's so many cool opportunities to try so many different things. Like you said, like all of you guys, you know, like big foodies, big wine people in your own right. I know Joe even has like his own steak channel that he was doing during quarantine um, at his house. Like he's a big foodie. Like you got to look at stuff like that. Like when you're traveling all over the place, getting in, getting to interact with all of these different people when you have a chance and, you know, getting to experience things that you haven't necessarily experienced before in different cities, different towns, different cultures. It's gotta be pretty cool. Yeah. No, I mean, we've traveled the world. We've traveled yeah. the country together um, and we travel first class. Listen, I'm not, I'm not discounting um, how lucky we are and how fortunate we are. Um, but we also, all of those things that you mentioned and, you know, doing all this stuff that we were able to do, none of it's with their own families. You know what I mean? So you do, you do take their sacrifice in it. Um, you know, obviously the second to last year when we were traveling, families weren't traveling much, uh, even before COVID. Uh, and I never had like my fiance never traveled with me. So, you know, while we love you, I mean, we love, I love Joe. I love oral. We love each other. Like they're my brothers, like Jerry and John Hartung and Ned Coletti. And I'm actually doing Ned's class here in about 10 minutes, but, um, you know, we love each other, but it, you're still taking away time from your own family and your own life. And, you know, so there's, there's balance. You have to find that balance for sure. For sure. Well, I tell you what, the, the four of us, Joe oral myself and Mike, we've drank a lot of really good bottles of wine together and no more when no more traveled with us. Do you, you know, given all of this, you know, like you said, like you were with a family in a sense, but you're not with the family, the people that matter most to you. You know, experiencing all of this, you know, evolving as a human being, as a reporter, getting to know what your schedule's like, getting to know how to quote unquote balance it, even though, again, it's insanely hard. I personally don't think there's a life balance. Have you found personal like 
things that you can do to improve that, again, life balance in order to spend some time with your family, whether it's, again, over Skype, over Zoom while you're at the at the ballpark or, you know, just finding times to meet up with each other throughout the season. So like you can like have that, you know, satisfaction, that sense of clarity when you're in the midst of a 162 game grind. I mean, I think that just comes with age and time and experience when you figure it out. I mean, my, when I first started, like all I did was work and work and work and work and work because you're trying to prove yourself. You're trying to move up. You're trying to, you know, do this, that, and the other, you're trying to learn. As I've gotten older and my life has changed and I got engaged, like things are different. Um, you know, I, my family lives in Colorado, so I'd go to Colorado three times a summer with work anyway. So every time we played the Rockies, my mom would come up to Denver and she'd stay with me. So I got to see her all the time. And I haven't seen my mom in over a year now because we didn't travel and COVID. So now I'm like really trying to, you know, and she's 77 and she's in great health, but you know, Pedro Gomez dropped dead at 58, you know, like it's, you have to find time to, to do you and do life. And that's kind of uh, where I am now. So, you know, during the season, uh, I would travel all over the country and I'd be able to see friends all over the country on, on company dime, which was really nice. But when we stopped traveling, you know, that part of my life stopped too. So that's, you know, again, that was part of the reason that I was like, okay, it's probably time to, to step back. I mean, that's like, we have found a way to, again, like evolve during all of this. Like, it's tough. Like your mother uh, being 77, like my grandmother has been stuck in her home in Florida for like the past 12 months, you know, like she won't leave. She, she's mm-hmm. very crazy about it. Like, I can only imagine like, like what if Vince Scully was still calling games and like, what, what, what have his situation been like this year, you know, with the Dodgers, like it's, you know, some people are very, you know, like questionable about everything that's going on. I feel like some people are just going to be like, you know, I guess it kind of all depends where your ego's at in that sense. Just like, you like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to go out and do whatever. But then there's other people that are like, this is a very serious thing. And you have to, you know, not necessarily like play by the rules, but like know what your current situation is and know how you're going to be able to adapt to what's going on and what's going to happen in, in the next few months. Because again, for some people, it's like you're literally Literally blocked in your homes for almost a better part of a year now. Yeah, and I think you know the the Dodgers handled everything incredibly well. They they told us like for for the postseason, if I didn't want to travel, I didn't have to travel. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Charlie Steiner didn't go to one game. He did the entire radio broadcast every single game from his house. Um, and if Vince Scully, God willing, was still with us, Ben would have gotten whatever he wanted to do, ha- do it however he wanted, as he should. So the Dodgers made all the concessions they needed to. They kept us safe. Uh, you know, there was never anybody in my suite that wasn't supposed to be there um, when we were broadcasting. So the Dodgers took this incredibly seriously. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of you know different schools of thought about um, this. And again, in order to have a season this year, they're going to have to to play by a lot of different rules um, as they should until we can figure this out as a, as a, as a world and, and make it safe and make it make sense again for people to go back to normal and and fans to be there and and players to be okay. I mean, major league baseball, I mean, all leagues around the country, I feel like have done an excellent job being able to adapt to everything. And, you know, the last thing I want to leave with, with, because I know you got to go soon, but um, you know, looking back at all of it now, you know, you're taking a step back, moving to Massachusetts, getting married, focusing on being, you know, uh, family first oriented in that sense. 
you know, looking back at everything and looking forward to what you want to do next, like what is, what are some of the things that you want to do, whether it's, you know, in sports, in baseball or outside of baseball? Yeah, I am. I definitely want to stay in baseball. I mean, I I have to stay in this game. I can't, like, I am jonesing right now because I'm not at spring training. Like I'm, this is the first time in 16 years I haven't been in spring training and I do not know what to do with myself. Um, it's hard. It's hard for me. It, it really, it, I struggle. I'm struggling with this. Um, this was not an easy decision, but that being said, I, I want to stay in the game. Um, I, you know, I'm talking to national networks. I, I hope to, to be able to do something, um, on an, on a national level again. Uh, like when I was at MLB network, um, you know, but it's, it has to be the right fit. It has to make sense. Uh, it has to be something that I can do with my home base being here. Um, and I still very much want to be involved in sports television in, in some capacity. That being said, I'm still going to focus, you know, on my foundation as much as I possibly can. Uh, Southern California is still the priority there. That's where I started it. That's where um, the connections are and most of the need is that I know of right now. Um, and then just have a life when we can get back to traveling. Um, you know, every year we go to Maui, that's our place. We couldn't go, uh, eventually if we can, someday we'll get married, (laughs) you know, we'd like to do that. Um, but I don't know. And that's, that's the weird thing. I've always been a person since I was 10 years old, I've worked, I've always been a person that's had a plan and I don't have one. So it's an, it's an adjustment. I know that at some point I'll be back on your television screen. Um, I don't know. We'll see. It's a, honestly like, again, everything, not necessarily like where you want it to be. And obviously you got to do the wedding, right. You know, you can't do it right now, like during weird times, but you know, it's kind of a cool situation to be in. And it's a good situation to be in, given that you already have the, you know, the reputation, the experience, the connections, like you will definitely be able to find a gig like whenever you want to, again, like not right away, but like looking in like the broad scheme of things, like you're going to be set up pretty nicely with, whatever you want to do. So it's a good situation. From your lips to God's ears. We'll see. (laughs) I am so boned. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's totally going to break up with you. She's definitely going to break up with me. Should have used TickPick. Wait, what'd you say? TickPick. Look. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, TickPick. I thought you said TickPick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.